edition of Turned Out of Punk. I'm your host, Damien Abraham, and once again, I am bringing you a conversation with someone who grew up listening to punk, may or may not still be involved in punk, but had their life changed by the genre in a major way. Today on the show, one of the most famous cover singers in the world, but also a member of some of my favorite punk bands as well, Spike Slauson of the band Me First in the Gimme Gimmies, and also of, of course, the illustrious dwarves and swinging udders but first if you'd like to get in touch with me you can find me on various forms of social media at left for damien you can also get in touch with this podcast there's an email address turn out a punk podcast at gmail.com it's checked by my brother show producer and runner of the facebook page tristan abraham tristan can be reached at all those various ways and he uh, also posts some fun stuff over there on the facebook page so get in touch with him over there. And if you would like to find that stuff on Facebook and you don't use Facebook, you can find that on the Tumblr page, turnitopunk.tumblr.com. If you'd like to support the show, the best way to do so is by uh, subscribing to this podcast on iTunes, writing a review, rating it. Actually, no, you know, just listen to it on whatever platform you choose to listen to it. But on that platform, please give it a rating and a review if you can. And just tell your friends. Just let everyone you know that you uh, like this podcast and you uh, think they would enjoy it as well. Speaking of supporting this show, this show would not be possible without the loving, kind support of the fine folks at Vans and House of Vans, of course. House of Vans is back this summer in Chicago and New York with an incredible roster of artists, uh, Suicidal Tendencies, Pennywise, Dead Milkmen, a surprise guest that I'm sure is going to be mind-blowing. Uh, I think Slow Dive's already done one. Ice Age has already done one. There's, there's so many amazing artists that are going to be playing this thing this summer. So please do yourself a favor and go over to Vans.com and look up House of Vans and see all the amazing things that are going to be going on. And I, myself, will be at a couple of these things this summer. It looks like I will be at a few of these doing a live turn out of punks. And I assure you, it, it's kind of like the highlight of my summer. Every time I get to do these House of Vans things, I have the best time. The people there are wicked. The shows are really fun. Last year, I'm trying to think, last year, it's hard to pick a favorite. But I, I really, I had an amazing, amazing time at the Cap'n Jazz show. That was really I don't know, just like an outstanding experience to get to do that. I had a fun time at Dillinger 4 show, too, with Lawrence Arms. There's there's House of Vans always kills it. Check out those parties. Jay Howell's going to be at a couple of them, too. If you're not familiar with Jay Howell, he's a pretty badass artist. Designed characters for Bob's Burgers. Sanjay and Craig did some great videos for Trash Talk and the like. Anyway, I'm digressing. Uh, right now, I'm talking to you from a bathroom, hence the weird audio effects that are being put on this. Um, <laughs> from a water park hotel, I'm about to go ride some water slides with the kids. We're here for my middle son, Dorian's birthday. Happy birthday, Dorian. Um, it's It's been a, a lot of fun. I'm eating a lot of processed foods. Uh, <laughs> that's all there really is here. Actually, no, no I, I'm lying. Uh, they, they actually have pretty good food here. It's not too bad. This water park hotel. They're not paying me, so I'm not going to name them. Um, they've hooked me up in the past, though. So I think I've shouted them out in the past because they've given me rooms in the past. But this time I just decided to record it in the bathroom uh, while everyone else is at the water park. So I will make this quick uh, and move on. But 
I can't make it too quick because I got to go into some depth about what you're about to hear. Spike is on the podcast and this, my friends, is the very first in a series of special 77 Fest Montreal podcast. That's right. There's an amazing festival going on in Montreal, uh, 77 Fest, 77montreal.com. Uh, it's going to be happening on July 27th in Parc Jean Drapeau in beautiful Montreal, and it will be incredible. There is a lineup that, you know, Turn It a Punk favorites will be in the house. There will be, of course, uh, a Rise Against, AFI, Suicidal Tendencies, and Me First in the Gimme Gimmies, of course, Anti Flag, Steve Ignorant with Paranoid Vision. I'm pretty stoked about Paranoid Vision. That band is amazing. I've got a bunch of their records. And Steve Ignorant, of course, from Crass. Uh, Crass. Sorry, Crash. Uh, the Interrupters, Sick of It All, L7, The Rizzolos, uh, Penland and Smasher, Satanic Surfers, DOA, Jeff Rosenstock, No Policy, Iron Schick, uh, Steve, uh, Sean Bonet, Seaway, uh, Lay Fucking Ramos, uh, and Pussy Stench. And you can go over to 77 Montreal dot com and buy yourself some passes because that's going to be a good time. But the night before, it's also going to be a good time because on the night before, July 26th, there will be a live Turned Out of Punk podcast, a 77 Montreal pre-party event. It's going to be starting at 7 p.m. I'm going to have a lot of guests that are going to be uh, pretty awesome. Pretty, pretty, I'm pretty, pretty stoked on that. This is about Les Ministres. And it's uh, more information, of course, can be found on the internet. Just search Turn Out a Punk uh, 77 Montreal pre party, and you will find out all the information you need. Uh, there's also a Don Letts screening of his Clash documentary, and Don Letts will be there doing a QA. And yeah, there's, it's going to be an, it's going to be an amazing night. Like what an event this whole thing is. And that is of course coming up to you on the weekend of the 26th of July. So you got some time, you got some time to like book your flights. If you're going to fly over, you got, cause I, I assure you with that, you, you saw the lineup of bands, you know, that the turn of the punk one is going to be pretty fun. We got a lot of people, a lot of people on that lineup that have been on the show before a lot of people that haven't been on the show before that I want to have on the show. So it's going to be, it's going to be a good time. Anyway, more of that to come in the near future. This is all being put together by myself and the wonderful Melanie Kay, who has helped out immensely with this podcast over the years with getting different guests, been a guest herself on this show. So there you go. Melanie Kay coming through once again with 77 Montreal events. Anyway, we've got Spike this week on the show. Spike is someone that I've been a fan of for a long time. Like, you know, if you grew up listening to punk, a certain style of punk, you know, me first in the Gimme Gimme, you couldn't help but love them when they came out. And, you know, they've gone on to become this band that has had some incredible, you know, success for a band that's playing covers, you know. But they, they're amazing. And Spike is one of the great front people of all time. And then, of course, plays in The Dwarves and plays in Swingin' Utters. And we get into all this stuff. This is an amazing, amazing episode. There's a lot of preamble and a lot of pre-ramble that you have to listen to to get to this. But I assure you, it's worth it. This one is one of the ones that I just like. Oh, man, I had so much fun listening back to this one. We talk about a lot of cool stuff. Anyway, I'm not going to ramble on anymore because I've rambled on quite a bit 
uh, and I got to go do a water slide or two right now. So sit back, relax, and enjoy Spike Slauson on Turned Out a Punk. Spike, thank you so much for coming on the show. Thanks for having me. Well, as I was just telling you off air, you are someone that has come up here many a time on this thing. So to finally have the person himself on the show, it's a great honor. Thank you. Um, I, I hope I don't disappoint. Well, no, I, I assure you, if there's anyone that's going to disappoint, it's, it's your host over here. But I got to start this off the way I start them all off, which is Spike. How'd you get into punk? Do you remember the first time you ever came across the genre? Yeah, a friend of mine, Matt Wiener, um, we were in, well, God, was in middle school, um, and he played me some Dead Kennedys record. He had a real interesting kind of like, I mean, interesting in retrospect, but like, I wasn't really into King Crimson or or like Brian Eno at mm-hmm. that time, but he really was like in, into that kind of stuff, like the cooler kind of part of the the cooler end of the the prog rock spectrum if there is such a thing but he also was was really into the dead kennedys and he was the guy that turned me on to them and that was kind of like a a window into um i don't know a world that i guess i I guess i peripherally knew that it existed but like only in kind of like the mainstream sensational ways like you'd see Mm -hmm. pictures of sid vicious abusing himself or something like that but like to hear something with with you know like there was a really refined style to it and then like not only was there style but there was a brain Mm -hmm. and a conscience and balls you know and in Pittsburgh at that time, you know, uh, like I wasn't, it, it, it was kind of a dark place and it didn't have what you could call necessarily jocks, but there were like, uh, big, tough, like bohunks, you know, and, and a lot of them were like out of work or their dads were out of work. So it was a little weird walking around the streets and like. I don't know, having a uniform, like it definitely like it drew the ire of, of these people, you know what I mean? To look different from them, but it also gave me kind of a focus and made me feel a little bit less like timid to go out. Like to be kind of like it was like war paint or something. <laughs> Even if I wasn't like kicking anybody's ass, you know what I mean? Yeah. Like like that that usually went in the other direction. But um like it still made me it, it 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 helped me get through things. And then a lot of the time, you know, it, I don't know. Like, I don't necessarily think of this as a positive aspect of like the punk or hardcore scene of that time. But like, it was really kind of like, I guess fallow centric is not the word, but it was really macho, mm-hmm. especially when you look at it now. But then, you know, when I thought of it at that time, it was like, it was, you know, that, that was where I found my balls. Does that make any sense? And and, and that, that sounds even more macho. And <laughs> But, but, um, but, I think I know what you're saying though. Like it was like, you know, as a, as a young person coming of age, especially someone that doesn't fit into that kind of like what you're describing kind of sounds vaguely like the deer hunter kind of esque surroundings, you know, it was dark at that time for sure. Yeah. There's strength in numbers. There's strength in knowing that you're part of a, 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 a click, like, you know, a click of outsiders even. Yeah. And there's strength in like putting on like your, your costume or your uniform Mm -hmm. and then like just kind of damn the consequences because you definitely like heard it from people like when you went out looking like that 
you know? And like the only thing that occurred to me later in life was how much worse their lives were than mine. Mm -hmm. Like they made my life miserable at times, but like the reason I say Pittsburgh was such a dark place is that like, you know, there was, there were definitely some dark experiences for me, but it was really bad for like a whole, like, swath of the country like and it, specifically the rust belt mm-hmm. it's funny too how much like amazing art and sort of like outsider culture though does come out of pittsburgh kind of in spite of that backdrop you're saying um yeah i mean i, I guess i guess it's not really i guess it's not in spite of it's kind of because of yeah you're, you know, you're right. i i would think like it um and then now it just well they knew what I was even if I didn't, if that makes any sense. They they knew what I represented to the city of Pittsburgh even if if you know even if I did not, mm-hmm. because now Pittsburgh is this sort of like academic hub, kind of an art and culture culinary tech hub. So like the eggheads really were coming to like take their town away. I didn't know it, you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. But but somewhere like deep down in their consciousness, they did. But even if you think about like those sort of first wave of, you know, like late seventies, early eighties, Pittsburgh punk bands, they all like, like the five and, and car sickness. Yeah. They all. Yeah. Have- I saw car sickness for sure. Really? Were they yeah. Like I saw them at CMU. They, they did like, like weird psychedelic sort of like, uh, um, like projection kind of like shows, but like, like they, they, they would do projections behind their live set <laughs> and they just kind of like. They sounded like their name. <laughs> you just kind of like made you a little bit nauseous, you know, but, but, but God, I don't even remember it specifically, you know, what they sounded like. It's all just kind of like impressions that have really faded yeah. over time. Well, I guess like, I was just going to say like, where did you kind of go from hearing this dead Kennedy's record? Like you now kind of, as you said, been given this window to this other culture. where did you kind of go from there? Um, uh, well, I started to go see shows at this club called the electric banana, um, which was, you know, kind of between neighborhoods. It was on a cliff. It was between Polish Hill and Oakland. And, uh, um, and it was, it was like built into a cliff. Like if you, if you entered the front door, you were entering <laughs> at street level. And then in the back, it was th- this precipitous drop down a, uh, down a cliff so the band was playing like on stilts whereas like if you it and it was just this kind of weird little divey roadhouse you know mm-hmm. and it had a big neon banana and then rock and roll and this kind of cool like mid-century cursive that was painted in the front and it just yeah it looked like some kind of shitty roadhouse out of a movie and then there were all these like kind of legendary stories of the things that happened there this guy johnny banana that ran the place he's still alive and he and his wife run it as like it's a it's a uh, an Italian American restaurant called Zara's, and they were Johnny and Judy Banana at the time. And the story goes that, um, and I don't know how much of this is true, if any, but like the story was that that Johnny Banana did or Johnny Zara did not roll over on the Pittsburgh mob in some kind of like you know incident or circumstance. Um, and uh, did not incriminate them, so uh, went to jail. And then as a reward, he got this go-go club and married one of the go-go dancers and then was approached by Reed Paley from The Five to uh, to start doing 
all ages shows or at least punk shows and then eventually those became all ages shows and then by the time i was going to see bands it would would have been bands like half-life and white wreckage 99 cents were another popular band from that time um and uh the the few out-of-town bands that would still come to play there because Johnny Banana had this reputation and he had a 22. Like, it was real. You yeah. know what I mean? Like, yeah. but, but he also had a reputation for using it. <laughs> um, supposedly, Keith Morris uh, came there with the Circle Jerks one night and packed the place, and they were paid something like 12 bucks or something <laughs> like that on, on a pretty high cover, especially for, like, the early 80s. And so Keith Morris took issue and went to the back to the van and got a crowbar and Johnny Banana took a 22 out. And that story made it like, you know what I mean? All the way out to L.A. and back. And uh, so but 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 he was really selective about it. Like there were certain bands that he treated very well. Yeah. Like he seemed to like the English bands more than he did the California bands, for example. And then at that time, there was also this club called the Underground Railroad that I was too young to ever have gone to, but uh, it, that was in Morgantown, West Virginia. And a lot of bands would play there uh, instead of playing Pittsburgh. And like, what kind of era of, of bands is that then? Like kind of, I guess, between the five and sort of the half off, like what, is there like another period of bands in Pittsburgh? Um, well, it's sort of more recent. Yeah, absolutely. Oh, I know more um, recent, definitely. But I mean, like sort of sort of back when you're talking about with the Underground Railroad, like where that venue was happening, what kind of bands were playing there? More of the punk bands or more of the hardcore bands? Or, um, Well, I seem to remember it being kind of in transition. Like Pittsburgh was this kind of like hidden, like off the beaten track kind of thing. Mm-hmm. So I remember when hardcore kids started showing up and like Pittsburgh, like hardcore as like a uniform as something that you could sort of recognize you know especially like now looking back uh it didn't really seem to like materialize until i started going to see shows which would have been 1984 so like kind of late in the game okay but by that time there were also there was also that sort of touch and go scene that was emerging in in the midwest and a lot of those bands were coming through like negative approach and they were influencing people there too and then um around the same time like the metalheads started to get in uh interested in like the punk scene and then going to punk shows too so like and that was weird because that was the uniform of these dudes who were beating the shit out of you before <laughs> yeah so that, that that was an interesting moment <clears throat> But that's what I, I didn't go see my first show until 1984. So a lot had kind of gone on. But, you know, between the time, like, you know, of the five and of Half-Life, uh, there were, you know, also you weird, like, kind of art rock bands. You know, like, there were colleges there. And that's where a lot of um, what was one of the bands, Stick Against Stone was one of the bands. Um, Car Sickness was certainly one of the bands. Uh, Tripod Jimmy? There's that band. Who's that? The Tripod Jimmy? No, I don't remember them. I mean, a lot of those bands, like, I only know by reputation because they were before my time. Car Sickness just happened to be, you know, playing into the 80s, and, and I got a chance to see them at CMU. Yeah. Which was and forever ago. And, and, like, the only thing left is, you know, vague impressions of it but i do remember they showed like you know like they projected psychedelic images you know behind the stage that was kind of cool i had never seen a punk band do that you know it's kind of like i guess like that post velvet underground damage kind of well i guess warhol's from yeah. pittsburgh too right so 
Yeah, he he grew up in Pittsburgh, absolutely. And then I forgot to mention the Cynics, which oh, was yeah. like which sort of an early entry in like the American like or the worldwide sixties punk revival movement. You know what I mean? Because they mm-hmm. were playing as early as like I think I think eighty three, eighty four, if not earlier. Um, I got a chance to see them around then, and uh, I had never seen anything like that. And uh, but then you know after having seen them. I remember noticing that there were record stores that kind of catered to that um, to that uh, audience. Well, also, they and found- you saw Brian Jones haircuts around the city of Pittsburgh, <laughs> you know. Well, and also, like they they because they did a Get Hip records, right? So absolutely, yeah, and put out a lot of great music, Tons, yeah. um, like from the past and the present, mm-hmm. and yeah, a, a real absolutely. Like- a real like it's amazing like it's funny because like jesse michaels was on the show and of course someone who brought you up meeting you back then when he moved to pittsburgh and we were kind of talking about how pittsburgh like one of those cities that you know given the population and you know the economic hardships at the time it's amazing like you know like i said before but like how much cool music is kind of coming out of this city uh during this period like way punching above its weight yeah yeah i would say that too i mean they, they nobody there took it for granted and everybody there, like this, this sounds, you know, I don't, without wanting to sound over serious, like putting that uniform on, like mm-hmm. I saw a lot of bad things happen to people for it. You know what I mean? <laughs> like it was something that came with real consequences. And I know that's, that's, you know, to, uh, a, uh, a bigger or slighter degree, you know, the same in all sorts of American cities at that time. But, but I, I feel like the reaction to, to that look um, and those interests in Pittsburgh was was decidedly uh, more like aggressively negative. Mm-hmm. Where what was the first show you went to that you mentioned? Um, it was Black Flag with um, Saccharin Trust Whoa. opening up for them? Um, Good way to get started. With that was Greg Ginn. Henry Rollins was singing and then uh Kira was playing bass and Bill Stevenson was playing drums. It was that like the slip it in um my war era of Black Flag, which was also kind of interesting because like a lot of the times that I went to go out and see so-called punk shows, like what I was watching wasn't, you know, necessarily punk music in any kind of formal sense, like people were experimenting and it was still, you know, and that, 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 that's looking back. That's kind of cool. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Well, that's like, you know, it's pre codification of punk. Like that's true punk where it's like right. Perubu and the electric <laughs> eels at the same yeah, time. Yeah. Yeah. Which also like were Rust Belt bands. Yeah. 100%, like if yeah. anybody was punching above their weight, like Ohio was. Yeah. <laughs> I feel like, you know what I mean? Like Pittsburgh had some cool things and it had a really cool scene. And, um, but like as, as far as like bands that like influential bands from a time when there weren't a whole lot of other bands to like kind of stand on their shoulders or to take influence from, uh, like there, there are a lot of amazing bands from Ohio, Rubber City Rebels, The Pagans, um, yeah, oh, like from the Tombs, like yeah, like yeah, it, Peter Lofner solo stuff. It's like incredible. You're right. Like, it, but it's it's like it's amazing how you know, like the story of punk rock officially in the in the annals is like New York or London, but it's it's really like as you say, Rust Belt music first. Yeah, it's just a blip on the rock and roll. Like, which is why you know, like it. At this point, especially like a punk rock uniform, which which by the time 
1984, by the time I was going to see shows, it was there was certainly a codified look mm-hmm. of like this English kind of like, you know, like a lot of the people wanted to look like Broken Bones or, or you know what I mean? Like, like one of those bands, <laughs> like one of those English bands, like this kind of 82, 83 kind of like UK look. Yeah. yeah. Um, but especially now, like that look to me, like, you know, I don't want to insult people or their beliefs or their, you know, what they're into, but it, it's kind of got like a Grateful Dead kind of quality to it, man. It's like 40 yeah. years old, you know, like it, uh, and like the whole point, it seems to me of, of the sort of originators um, was that like to, 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 you know, was, was not to wear a uniform, was to kind of branch out and do different things that nobody else had done before, or maybe only Iggy Pop had done before, you know? Yeah. yeah. Well, there's always someone that came first. And normally it's Iggy, I guess, in the end. Right, but if if you look at it, it's just like a blip in rock and roll because a lot of them were like roots rock and roll guys. Mm-hmm. So like, and they wanted to go back to like a raw, you know, more primal form of rock and roll, especially given all like the kind of like prog rock uh, stuff that was going on at the time that didn't seem like rock and roll to them. So then then that makes me look at it like, like punk is just a blip on like the rock and roll, like a very long rock and roll timeline. Mm-hmm. And that actually makes me kind of happy, you know, but it's definitely like, it's a blip that changes everything, right? Like, you know, once again, we're sure. talking about bands from Ohio, like Devo, like it's crazy yeah. to think of like a world without Devo or pre Devo. Right. Where they were, and they had an, an entire sort of like, uh, yeah, what's the word? Like it was like a theology around, yeah. It, you know, yeah. like there there was a, this whole like intellectual, like philosophical component to to uh, to their band that you know, like like that, that so many bands since then, like why are you doing this? You know what I mean? Yeah. Like like that 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 that's an important question too. And yeah, imagining a world without Devo would be you know a much poorer place. We're, I guess like when you're kind of going to the show, you mentioned you were seeing these other bands doing these more experimental things. Had you gone to those shows before you went to this Black Flag show or was the Black Flag show your first kind of concert period? That was the first like – no, it was the first underground. Like I had seen ACDC uh, up until that point. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Like at, and maybe one or two other like like big concerts at the, at the, the Civic Arena. But that was the first like underground rock, like punk rock uh, show that I had ever been to and it just – Totally opened my eyes. Yeah. Where did you kind of go from there after this first show? Like, did you meet kids at the show or were there kids around you other than this one Dick Kennedy's interested friend? Well, no, he wasn't there, actually. The guy that brought me to that show was this kid um, that came to Pittsburgh from El Salvador. And uh, we just became friends uh, at elementary school. Um because we were just kind of two sort of outcasts, you know what I mean? <laughs> and, uh, and we became really close friends and just hung out all the time. And uh, he was the one that that went out and, you know, met some of these, you know, funny looking people <laughs> with weird outfits and then like started going to see shows at the Banana. And then he brought me to that show. It was the first show that I had ever, you know, been to and just it was you know, and we went to tons of shows after that. Me and Jesse went to a lot of shows at the Electric Banana too. Um, yeah. 
who were some of the early, like, you know, we, we've talked about Half Off, which seems to be a band that comes up on here a lot, <laughs> but, uh, and I love them. That first seven inch is ridiculous how good that thing is. But mm-hmm. who were some of the other local bands that you were kind of gravitating towards at that time? Uh, well, oh, there was cynics, Savage Amused were playing at that time. They were kind of like a more artsy band. 99 Cents were kind of an artsy, uh, uh, like an art damaged punk band too. And that was kind of like, it, it gave me an idea of where I was at, like, as opposed to like other play. Cause you saw these golden voice flyers from like places like Los Angeles and, and the South Bay and Orange County and like, you know, you know, three to five dollars uh, cover to see like ten bands, the all of whom you wanted to see, all of whom you'd heard of, you know. Whereas, like in Pittsburgh, you would just go see like some weird steel town misfits scream into a microphone, you know. <laughs> yeah. And but 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 I think I had an idea at that time, like of how sort of unique what I was going to see and experience was. Yeah. And, and I still, I definitely look at it that way, you know, cause I see a lot of people in Los Angeles and San Francisco, like they, they learned to take that culture for granted cause they were kind of like epicenters hubs of the culture. Mm-hmm. Like San Francisco might not have had as many uh, important bands as Southern California, but like as an audience and as like clubs, those were some of the more famous, you know, in the whole country, like the Mabuhe Gardens, um, the On Broadway, you know, and it was also for those L.A. bands. It was one of the first out of town audiences that they would get. Like it's it just, would really test their metal. Yeah, it's just five hours here. of the road. What's right? Exactly. Where where did you kind of like, you know, as far as, you know, participation, were you like starting bands? Because I've always found it like amazing that your discography doesn't begin till like much later right like did you play in bands earlier on no not really no nothing of any consequence i'd you know jam with friends but i don't know i was drinking a lot and you know just kind of experiencing like and and i also moved to the uh to the west coast yeah uh right in the middle um of that time uh which was kind of a big uh kind of a big interruption and uh when I moved to the West Coast, I moved to uh, this town called Davis, which is like a college town just outside of Sacramento. Mm-hmm. So, like, of any potential collaborators, it, it was just this kind of weird thing, like a, a lot of culture shock between there and uh, Pittsburgh. Um, and, yeah, I just, I don't know. I didn't really get involved other than just kind of hanging out, you know, taking drugs and drinking, <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, and, and, uh, just kind of enjoying, I mean, I had dreams of, of playing music and, and I, there's definitely like performative kind of, uh, side to me that, that having played in bands, uh, since then has definitely fulfilled, uh, you know, a, a lot of that kind of performative impulse, you know, but, um, yeah, no, I I don't know. And plus, a lot of the people that were in Pittsburgh at that time were were you know too cool for school. Yeah, a lot of the kids that looked like the the ones with the broken bones, kind of uh, you know that that early '80s UK look. Like they, they they didn't like the kids like me that had like shit written all over their 
just close, you know? Mm-hmm. Well, like, I guess like, you know, like where were you kind of finding any sort of outlet? Because you're like, you were, you were a natural performer. I'm not the first person I'm sure to tell you this. Uh, were you like in plays in school or anything like that? No. Wow. No, just a mimic, you know, just, just a mimic. And then just kind of like, uh, I don't know. I wanted people to, to, to be my friends. It's still something like it's, it's, it's like to, to a, to a fault. I feel much more comfortable in a room full of people after I've performed, uh, you know, and they dug it, Yeah, you know, if but that think, makes any sense, well, I because know. otherwise I feel like, like a total outsider. I feel like everybody knows it. They mm-hmm. can smell it on me and, and, you know, well, yeah, because I think most of us answer that same need to make everyone our friends by starting that band in the first place. Like that's our like, yeah, uh, that's how I'm going to do it. But I guess you know, it took you a while to to stumble upon that part of the scheme. Like that's how I did it for myself. I'm like, I'll just start this band. Yeah, uh, and then sometimes we want to make friends of the wrong people. You know what I mean? Like, like some of these people that didn't like you, like they suck. Yeah, <laughs> I mean, absolutely. like that's the and and I guess that's part of my problem with punk culture uh, currently. Um, as, as many good things as there are with it. Um, but is that like, it resembles the, the culture that at least I was trying to find an alternative from mm-hmm. in the eighties. Like there, there's a lot of sort of macho kind of the, the people that think in this really kind of categorical way, mm-hmm. you know, mm-hmm. and, and, and are able to dehumanize people that, that are not interested in the same things that they are. Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, it's definitely like, that's the problem with punk is it just, Ultimately, it's a reflection of society with better music. So it's got all the problems. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Uh, where did you, um, you know, like you mentioned moving to the West Coast is, you know, were you still in high school when you did that move? Yeah. So yeah, that, I was I was 16. That must have been like insane. Was there any punk culture in, in Davis? Yeah, no, there absolutely was. There was a cool, um, they had this bar called The Graduate, like every college town has a bar called The Graduate. And apparently before I moved to Davis, they had a night called Grad Night where uh, they would have punk DJs and people would come in and dance. And, and, and bands had been playing Davis because it's, it's a college town. Yeah. yeah. But, you know, kind of far and few between, few and far between that is. And um, uh, so – Grad night was a night for people to kind of like slam dance, not to a band, but to a DJ and just kind of like enjoy one another's company in like, you know, a cold, unfriendly world, you know, and take respite inside. So um, eventually uh, there was a change of management or a change of ownership or, or I don't know what the hell happened, but it turned into like a real frat centric kind of management directive and uh, they posted a sign out front with pictures on it with like – and it was like 1986, but it was still a guy in a trench coat with like a safety pin <laughs> through his uh, <laughs> cheek. And, and they had a big red X through it, you know, like like dress code strictly enforced. <laughs> you know what I mean? And you can imagine the dress code. Like like why are dirty sweatpants better than – you know what I mean? Yeah, like, yeah. like a – a Cal Aggies shirt better than, than like the clothes that, that the punk kids obviously spent much more money on, you know? Yeah. And, uh, but no, they, but they strictly enforced the dress code. The coolest thing, um, what happened after that was that everybody in the entire region, Sacramento, Woodland, Dixon, even people from as far as like the East Bay and San Francisco, descended on the parking lot 
of this bar and it was like this punk cruise night. So, so by the time I moved to Davis, like they would get hundreds of people like in this, in this parking lot in this little college town, uh, way out in, in the suburbs in the Sacramento Valley. And like, um, so inside there was this dress code and a bunch of pissed off frat boys and like outside was this like crazy fun party, you know? That's awesome. Yeah. I mean, it wasn't always fun, yeah. you know, like, like, I don't know. Like punk culture, there's a lot of trauma, you know, yeah. like they were dealing with a lot of trauma and they like gave other people a lot of trauma to deal with, you know, that, that, that's definitely one of the negatives. Well, yeah, you, you like, that's one of the things you kind of, well, there's books about it now. There's like, you know, it's almost become myth and story and legend, but like, about well, the it's violence. like they talk, they talk negatively about the trauma, but talk like in these kind of absolutist, like glowing terms about punk culture, which I yeah. don't think is very helpful, you know? Mm -hmm. And it doesn't, it certainly doesn't improve so-called punk culture. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. And I think it's like, especially at that time, like, you know, you're talking about the trauma that was being dealt with, but also the trauma that was inflicted. Like, you know, there's a lot of people that got really fucked up. Um, yeah, at that time. hard drugs because people condoned it, you know, mm -hmm. uh, some fucked up sexual situ situations like assault, you know, just all kinds of people seeing things that they shouldn't see as kids, you know, and it was other kids doing it. <laughs> you know mm -hmm. what I mean? Other kids that shared their similar interests and like, yeah, the, the, the tendency to look at it like a gang, I think is really harmful. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, no, you're right. But I guess that also, but that comes from what you were talking about earlier. Like you got this uniform and you, you almost have the sense of, well, now there's enough of us. Right. Exactly. Like when the anti-racist skinheads came in to, to perform, you know, you could say the necessary task of like ridding the scene of the other ones. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. And then all of a sudden, then what happens? Then all of a sudden, like, you bump into one of their girlfriends and, like, they're beating the shit out of you. Mm -hmm. Or 10 of them are. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? Because that's how it works out. So, like, if you take, like, for example, if you take bigotry off the list of 500 things that sucks about a lot of skinheads, you know what I mean? Not all of them. Like, it's still a pretty long list. <laughs> you know what I'm saying, man? Like, and... Yeah, once once your numbers are up, like what do you do then? Like that that's a true reflection of of your character and of like, you know, maybe like the collective character of the scene that you talk about, you know? Mm -hmm. Where and that you celebrate and that you, you know, that 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 you're involved with and that you, you know, elevate above all other things and all other scenes and you know, ways of thinking. I don't know. Were you going to like to get to go to shows other than this kind of like punk rock cruise night? Were you going to like uh, like other cities in the area or like other California kind of towns? Yeah, I went to Sacramento uh, to see shows, which was definitely weird, man. Sacramento like is just a big cow town. You know what I mean? <laughs> and it's also the capital and it's also kind of gnarly. And it was back then, too. Yeah. Um, and and shows were were definitely interesting there. I saw some good ones. I saw BGK, which were my favorite band of the time. Dude, that band's Sac fucking incredible. Yeah, but I saw them also. Like I would, we would come down to uh, San Francisco once in a while. There was a club called The Farm. Yeah, uh, that I got to visit a couple times. And one of those those shows was a BGK show. 
um, uh, there was, uh, I, I got to go to the new method in Emeryville. That was like the practice space slash like crash pad that, uh, Christ on parade and neurosis yeah. had at that time, back when Christ on parade were the bigger band, you know, and I actually got it. Sorry, go I rode the ice cream truck from the new method to, uh, over across the Bay bridge <laughs> to the farm. And it was terrifying. It was this day <laughs> at the farm and there were just all like, it was like skinheads. Like it was, it was nuts, man. And like, like they were just mean, big, mean mama didn't love me. Pecker woods, man. Like, like not like, like moving on from punk into like true scumbag, you know what I mean? Yeah, like, yeah. like you can tell the difference, man. Like, like when, when the skinhead like turns, like grows out into like the prison pomade thing, you yeah. know, like, yeah. like you don't fuck with those dudes. Like they, they, I saw them do fucked up things to people. There's that trauma. You know what yeah. I mean? Like, yeah. and it was supposed to be, you know, and, and you look at like, when you start to read history books about that kind of thing, like, especially like Los Angeles is a perfect example. Like all the LA bands of the late seventies, like an X talk about it a lot. I guess, guess that's kind of the most like, uh, visible, recognizable of the stories is like the, their crowd changing when bands like black flag and you could love all those bands. And I do like, I love black flag. I love the circle jerks from that time. But when all those South Bay and orange County kids started coming up to shows in Los Angeles, the whole thing changed. Yeah. And it was just this like positive space that people can't, and I hate talking about safe spaces, man. Cause it's just like, I feel like that's a failing of our side. Like I'm, I'm, like definitely to the left politically, but which means that I have to hold like my nominal tribe to account. Right. Mm -hmm. You know? And, and, um, but at the same time, like I hate unsafe spaces just as much. Yeah. And the people, the, the, like, like that, that's a real conceited self-important arrogant thing to want to turn somebody's safe space into an unsafe space. Can't even believe I'm talking in those terms, but you know, it's funny because like 2018. Did you reconnect with Jesse when you were back on the, in California? Yeah, that's the first thing I did. He he was the one that took me that he introduced me to a lot of his friends uh, that were um, involved in bands and doing a lot of constructive things. You yeah. know, like that's one thing. Like a lot of people talk shit about the East Bay, like of that time, and just kind of how uh, preachy. And kind of safe, spacey kind of a place it was at that time. But Gilman was just starting to turn into this space that people were using, like people associated with maximum rock and roll. And again, mm -hmm. like they, they can be kind of controversial themselves for being sort of, uh, I don't know what the word is, uh, uh, real kind of categorical. Yeah, dogmatic you know? in their way. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, dogmatic. That That's a perfect word for it. But whatever you know what i mean they were still a cool magazine that celebrated yep. a cool yeah, culture and cool bands and gilman was this cool place that didn't need to sell booze to like throw good shows and even though it wasn't selling booze it brought a bunch of people together to come and enjoy something uh positive and see one another you know mm -hmm. you know like you're you know you're talking about the violence and, and like the change that happened in punk and when jesse was on the show i kind of brought that up to him and he was like no that's like a misreading he's like because like what you're saying now there was so much positivity that happened like there was still space for women there was still space for gay people yeah like there well, was for him that's why he hated waking up in pittsburgh yeah because pittsburgh was like pittsburgh was was deplorables 
before there was a word for it. Yeah. yeah. You know, but which is also one of the things that's informed my attitude about politics today is yeah. that like my nominal tribe gave it to him. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. By abandoning those deplorables, you know what I mean? But anyway, like, like going to see shows in Pittsburgh was anything but a safe space or a respectful space or like, you know, like if you were a girl, you like, you had to be tough you know what yeah. i mean like that that was it and 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 gilman was was a little more forgiving and, and just the you know the, the, the mid 80s like east bay scene just in general was was more you know maybe you could use the words constructive and yeah well, equal uh, and, and it certainly was and, and and i remember seeing that and thinking like that it was that, that it was cool yeah that, that to me is a template scene. Like you have bands like Neurosis, Operation Ivy, Crimp Shrine, uh, Plaid Retina, Corrupted Morals, Christ on Parade, all happening. Soup. Yeah, Soup. No one sounds Quick the same. Quick Way. Yeah, no one, none of these bands sound alike at all. And also like they're kind of setting the standard for like how you make places inclusive, how you make them all ages, how you try and make – you make it like an idealized world that's different than the world around you. Like that's that to me is like – that's my idealized punk scene. At that point in San Francisco or Gilman, I should, or Berkeley, I guess. Well, and the East Bay and then the Bay Area, like in general, was that kind of space. Yeah. People demanded respect, you mm-hmm. know, and, and people gave it because it's, I don't know, I feel it's really a unique area, mm-hmm. like including the East Bay, but definitely, you know, San Francisco, the East Bay, um, uh, it just was a different kind of refreshing way of looking at things. And then just speaking like uh, not so nobly, you know, it, it was like I didn't know how to hit on girls. And I came to the East Bay and, and like they knew exactly what to do. You know what I'm saying? Like, yeah. like that. Was, and, and, and so it was a perfect match for me. Yeah, absolutely. You know? Like I guess ultimately you're kind of discovered as a singer, but it's just it just seems so, you know, you never had any desire to do it prior to that. I did, uh, you know, and I, I had sung with cover bands. I sang with these guys that used to be in a band called Psychotic Pineapple. You might have heard of. Oh my from, god, from, yeah! For, but they had a cover band after that. Like they they just stayed involved in music um, and played in various bands. And now they're playing as Psychotic Pineapple again, which is great. Um, but Alex Alex Carlin and John Seabury uh, and and a whole cast of Bay Area characters would get together and play covers. I would go sing with them. That's in fact, the first time that Mike saw me, uh, sing in any kind of live scenario. And I, and I think that that was what, if it eventually, um, influenced him to, to ask me to, to sing in a, in a cover band. Was that before you were kind of working in the, working at fat? No, that was after. And, um, like, yeah, I wasn't doing too well in, in the shipping department, so <laughs> it's, a, it's a, uh, they needed to find a better place to, you know, some place where I could do less damage. But you, it's funny, you like, you know, you say you didn't do well at that job, but it's amazing how that's almost like a a punk rock finishing school when you look at like you know yourself, Chris Dodge, the guy that ran very small, like so many people that ran labels or, or were involved in other aspects of punk or went on to do other things in punk, kind of like came through that warehouse working at fat record space. Yeah. No, you could definitely see ambition and implementation there. Yeah. You know, when, when, when fat, uh, 
was and is at its best. You, you know that that that's something easy that you didn't see a lot in the punk community, and then certainly not in the Bay Area punk community. I don't think it's an accident that like you know some of the people had come from Southern California. You know, although I do know people here that that are ambitious and uh, know how to implement uh, visions and ideas, I feel like the 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 sort of culture at large of you know like underground music or alternative scenes like there's they don't like to be seen to be reaching for the brass ring and people down south don't have those stupid considerations mm-hmm. you know like mm-hmm. like they don't want a day job like they they want to do what they do yeah yeah you're right you like know it's... and then they'll do whatever they have to do to 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 like to rehearse for it to prepare for it um to imagine it and ultimately to implement it Mm-hmm. Yeah, and you're right. Like that's the place that, you know, you talk about a label that kind of like self built into this like mini empire. It's like that label, and it's still run the same way. And you can't say that about too many other businesses. No, right. Um, where did uh, like how did you get that job? Were you like a fan of the bands that were kind of coming out on that label at the time, or is it just through, like through friends? Or no, not really. I mean, I wouldn't say that that kind of music is necessarily like my style of music. Like yeah. like a lot of my really close friends, our musical tastes are very like divergent. Like I'm yeah. not from California, and I'm certainly not from Southern California. And like uh, you know, like I guess like I I have a lot more in common with like sort of post punk people or like a lot of those 60 punks, 60s punk revival kind of, you know, like it's, it's just stuff that I found more interesting because I felt like I had gotten sort of to the bottom of punk as a formal musical and like, you know, clothing <laughs> style. <laughs> so yeah, um, who, who were some of the local bands that, you know, you were kind of into at the time or uh, around, from, from like the San Francisco kind of Bay area? Uh, or Southern California in general or California in general. There's so many different waves of it. I mean, I loved Operation Ivy, uh-huh. you know, and it, that was a friend of mine. It was his band. So so that was even cooler to see him doing well. And, yeah. and got because their shows got really, really big, you know, especially like right on the brink of that nationwide that national tour that they did. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, well, Crimp Shrine, I saw a lot. Um, the Bay Area... At that time, was was doing its own sort of like post punk thing that that was kind of dumb, you know, <laughs> like 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 the San Francisco and and Sacramento. Incidentally, it was this weird sort of like like junky scene of like like people that still had their punk jackets and combat boots, but otherwise looked like they were an Aerosmith. Like that okay. was a really big thing here, and that was kind of dumb. But mm. I had a lot of friends that were like that too. So I guess you could call that an influence as well. Yeah. Well, it would wind up becoming like, you know, like not, not obviously that these guys were junkies or anything, but you see that like kind of reflected in like the helicopters and like, like, you know, like the punk rock and roll kind of post Johnny Thunders trip. Yeah. Yeah. But, but without the kind of like, uh, the baggage. <laughs> Well, and and with, with with without the authenticity, yeah, yeah. Like Johnny Thunders is like an old country singer. Like he's singing directly to you, and you know he's telling the truth. Yeah, you know, and it's it's about some shit that you want to hear about. You know, like like that. You know, and and like I love sounds. Like there, there's a lot of like 
especially with these like 60s punk revival bands and that's really big in the bay area right now but and and they they like construct these really cool sounds mm-hmm. and not through like technology it's through like sort of anti-technology but a lot of them don't have like the best songs mm-hmm. you know mm-hmm. so you know you I, I can appreciate their their like uh their craft at like building soundscapes or whatever but like you know <laughs> But um, th- there's also something. But then again, like like sometimes they hit the mark too. I really like this band called Cheap Time that I think are from Nashville. Yeah, they're fucking amazing. Yeah, like um, but but I don't know. From San Francisco, the Mummies were a cool band. The Trash Women, Supercharger were amazing. Yeah, like that's the um, stuff I was kind of getting to. Like you were you were checking out all those shows when they were happening too. Um, some of them. Like I, I definitely went to the Purple Onion and saw like a lot of local bands. Um, I saw Untamed Youth at the Purple Onion too, but they they weren't from here. But they definitely like had a lot of bearing on the you know on that scene. Mm-hmm. Phantom Surfers I saw quite a bit. Um, uh, there was a thing called Incredibly Strange Wrestling that happened in the city. You used to uh, go on the Warp Tour too for a minute. Yeah, but but yeah, and before they went on the Warp Tour, they became this kind of like version of. San Francisco like street theater in a in a really weird way. If you looked at it, you know, if you kind of squinted and looked at it cross-eyed, like that's what it was. It was it wasn't like masked wrestlers anymore. It was this weird kind of like you know. Oh, I just spent the last year of my life, Spike, making a TV show about pro wrestling all over the world. So you don't have to convince me of its brilliance. Trust it, me, it is. I'm sold. Hundred percent. It is, and it's in the same way that that punk or hip hop is. It's this like unapologetic. You know, mm-hmm. like planting your feet firmly where they just, you know, you know, yelling at the world who you are. And I don't know, there's something about it. And, and, and there's a there was a style to it back in the 80s, too. And and that that, that uh, definitely was reflected in uh, in incredibly strange wrestling. And that was was definitely one of the cooler things to happen in the city. And a lot of those 60s punk bands would 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 play that show. Because it was a destination because like like with a lot of bands, they want to get paid. But mm-hmm. then a lot of those same bands, like they want a cool party to play too. You know, like <laughs> like that's a big part of it is not just be getting paid and being comfortable, but having a good time. Well, I was going to say, did you see the were the dwarves on your radar at that point? I, they must have been, right? Yeah, so absolutely. You playing in them. But like, were like, did you see Suburban Nightmare? Was that before your time getting out there or? No, that that would have been before my time, and I didn't even really see him during the the blood guts and pussy era. Era, but like definitely a bunch since then. And then Sugar <laughs> Fix is one of my favorite. Like I love that record. Yeah, yeah, they're they're one of my I don't know, just one of the all time great punk bands. But like a band that like you know like you've like kind of exists beyond all the trends. Yeah, just like a crazy like violent rock and roll band. Yeah. Yeah, and they have been the same since horror stories right up to the present day, whatever incarnation there is of that. Yeah, and, and they're another one of those, like, like you almost couldn't tell it by listening to their later records, but, like, one of those, like, kind of garage-influenced mm-hmm. bands. Like, and that was, like, horror stories, that, that's all that stuff was, 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 you know, was that same sort of thing. And, and they, again, were, were, like, the Cynics were an early entry into the... Uh, sort of garage rock revival canon. What about um, Swing and Utters? Like, when did you first kind of see them, or when did they first show up on your your radar? 
I first saw them at uh, was the Paradise Lounge in God damn, like the early nineties. Um, and yeah, I remember thinking like they sounded a little bit like DOA to me, but but I liked it. But but enough different and like it's weird because you think of DOA or at least I do, or at least I did as like this kind of Anglophile band. Mm-hmm. Like mm-hmm. it's, you could almost imagine them coming from England, but then like, if you think about it, they're just another West coast band. Yeah. Well, I think that's also the Canadian kind of like, you know, post-colonial thing too. Like there's a lot of like sure. Anglophile kind of Canadian culture out there, but you're right. Like there's, they're, 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 they are the, the original West coast hardcore band. Like even before black flag, they were kind of going up and down yeah. the coast. And playing fast. And playing fast, yeah. And they and they had the titular hardcore eighty ones, the titular hardcore record. Yep. Um, that was even called. They even had the name. Yeah, exactly. We're like, because uh, Swinging Utters, like you guys are one of my all time or were my, my all time favorite bands. Still are one of my all time favorite bands, obviously. Um, but like a band that I always thought, like like you're saying, kind of stood apart from from uh, like they didn't obviously when you know. Sign, ultimately signed to fat don't sound like fat records bands but also at the same time don't really sound like a, a you know like a broken bone street type punk band either they've kind of got like their own sound yeah well and then they didn't take the whole like working class thing so seriously like um i got nothing against the working class but you know what they're listening to or at least what they were listening to was bon jovi and uh <laughs> you know what i mean like 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 they they're not listening to punk. Yeah. Like this is not England. <laughs> you know what I mean? And then like the whole notion of street means like it's not people coming from the street, it's people coming to it. Uh-huh. If that makes any sense. And so they're bringing these sort of preconceived notions about what people do on the street and that 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 would be my only like a lot of the crowds that they were bringing at least earlier and and it, that's definitely improved and I think due in no small part to, you know, their wishes, you know, um but at that time yeah, there were a lot of shitheads coming to shows, but but coming to all shows, like you can't really blame the the swing it utters for that, you know. Yeah, like I'm sure at a, a Pennywise show back then, there was probably a propensity to have a couple assholes in that crowd. Yeah, well, I mean, but that's also because like the L.A. punk scene of that time, uh, like that's not a place I would want to go see shows. That's not a place or a period that I would want to go see shows in. And I'm sure there were some great shows, but it seems like a lot of the police action, and then a lot of like the the you know just the the fans you know like it 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 was famously violent mm-hmm. throughout that period um which i don't know i don't know if you can really blame on the 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 bands themselves like i certainly don't blame pennywise for the shit that happens at their shows you know no, or, it wasn't pennywise yeah like i could have i could have said like you know any band that was playing to like that audience as opposed to like whatever audience swing and others were playing, but yeah, like it could have been, I could have said strung out there or any kind of band that was doing that more kind of leaning sound, I guess. Yeah. And then you look at LA from Griffith park and then like, try to imagine like somebody down there murdering you and try to imagine that person getting caught. You know what I mean? Like, it's just like that. I remember that hit the first, that's the first thing that hit me the first time I ever went to Griffith park. And it was back at a time when LA was still kind of a gnarly place, like driving down there as soon as you cross the grapevine, 
I at least will get this feeling like, man, I feel like something bad is going to happen. I hope it doesn't happen to me, you know, like, and, and then that, that was kind of just like amplified by looking at this huge, like immense monstrous grid from, and and it was night. So it was all lit up Mm -hmm. um, from this like high promontory and thinking, God, like if somebody killed me, nobody would ever find that person. Mm-hmm. And so there seemed to be this like weird sort of like lack of accountability, especially in a punk scene where the only thing the cops were doing when they came was to bust heads, you know? Yeah. What were like, what shows would you be going down to see there? Good shows that I was going down to play. Oh, ultimately, like when I first started going there, it would have been before the Northridge earthquake, mm-hmm. you know, which, which, um, and it was weird. Hollywood was weird. Like, L.A., downtown L.A. was a slum, was like, yeah. was all Skid Row. Yeah. Like, and especially as soon as the people that the office, the people that worked downtown, when they went home, it just like turned into the night of the living dead. Mm-hmm. And it was the whole thing. And then like, so L.A. was like, as a, as a concept to me, felt like it felt like it was kind of based around Hollywood, which was also a slum. And which was also like really scary, but it wasn't as scary as as uh, downtown Skid Row. And then you never know where you never knew where you could go and feel like safe. And it's not a city that you just sort of spontaneously engage with, given like how spread out it is. And that's what I was kind of used to a place like San Francisco where you could like walk around like, oh, hey, look at that. I want to go in there. Mm-hmm. LA, you have to know where you're going. And until I knew where I was going, it seemed like a really big, scary place. And uh, statistically at that time compared to now, it it was. And there's also like no transit either. Like it's not really like that city's linked by any no. sort of mass transit system or anything. No, you got to drive and you got to know where you're going. Yeah. You know, and then sometimes like even when you know where you're going, you got to park like a few blocks away, a few really long blocks away from whatever your destination is. And like I remember bars that we would go to and we couldn't park close and just like that was definitely a safety in numbers kind of scenario. So what was your first tour? Like, did you go out with other bands before you were playing as a roadie or anything? Um, I traveled with some friends uh, from Pittsburgh at one point. Like, I think we went to like Carbondale, Illinois, and like uh, maybe Kentucky or something like that. And uh, but no, nothing, nothing like that. Nothing until uh, I really started uh, actually touring mainly with the Swing and Utters. Like, yeah. like we did a lot of traveling um, because the the gimmies were. Uh, guys from other bands that were really busy. So we kind of like had to fit tours or shows in kind of in between. And it was still sort of like a joke cover band at that time. So the, so the band that I did most of the touring with was, uh, was the swing and utters. And we got to go to Europe. We got to go to Japan. That, that was my first time. Um, and I got to go back East for the first time in a long time. Like I got to go back and visit, Pittsburgh and and some other like Philly and uh, places that I hadn't been for a really long time. Mm-hmm. So, and the Midwest, where I spent a lot of time growing up too. It's funny too because like I like you know I just remember when that when the I, th- I think it's very from, from Denver coming out, but like how me first and the Gimme Gimmies were just this like massive band that must have been huge. But I guess the reality is like you're the only guy that this is your full time band at this point. 
right? Um, that that the swing and utters is you no know, me first in the gimme gimme's when that first happened because like I just would have thought oh. you guys would have been on the road and touring like because it was just so as a, as like a, a person buying that record when it came out like you guys just felt like big out of the gate like did you know that yeah you guys it, was, it was strange uh you know like did you have that did you get a chance to play live and kind of see that there was like a fan base already or is that later when you guys really kind of get out there and start playing a little more shows yeah we did i mean like having mike in the band and like joey too like it it um it gave it you know people wanted to hear it and then like a lot of them already knew the songs, which was, which made it easy, easily accessible and, and, uh, easy to enjoy. Um, yeah, I definitely remember being surprised at, uh, at how successful it was initially. And then, um, I tried not to take it for granted and tried to put as much work energy and intensity into it as I could to, to kind of make it worth it. You mm-hmm. know, mm-hmm. like this many people are coming, let's make it good. You know, that, mm-hmm. that, that's all. Cause I, I mean, I don't know. There, there are definitely two ways of looking at like how you play a punk show or there are a number of ways of looking at it. I happen to believe that if somebody's paying you money that like, I don't care like if you're playing on the floor or, you know, on a stage that's like a few inches high, like it's still a proscenium arch. Mm-hmm. If that makes any sense, man. And like, people are paying you not for real life. They're not paying you for real life. They're like, it's like, there are theatrics to it, whether you admit it or not, like there are theatrics to it. Like, and like what there's style to it, whether you admit it or not, like you made a style choice that morning, you know? And I just happen to think that like costumes and performance and like, like, you know, and singing and dancing around like it's it's like part of the whole thing. Like it's either a, a show. People are paying you for a show or, you know, and you either give it to them or you don't. You're right. No, it's it's 100 percent like you're you're an entertainer, like you're the exact same as a professional yeah. wrestler or as you're either entertaining or you're not. Yeah. Like and like the whole notion of realness is is like, man, that's that's not what people. I think ultimately came to see. Yeah. Well, and if, like if, they don't have to pay any money to see realness, you know? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> now, now, uh, you can see far too much realness. You get exactly realness shoved down your throat every second. It seems. And they need, so they need an escape from it, man. Yeah. Especially if they're not middle-class suburban kids, man. Yeah. Like, which is why, like, I remember that, like it was, it was like that paradox of like, when I was growing up, I was listening to this really ugly, angry music that talked about like injustice and about wanting to solve injustice and fight it, you know? Mm. And it was angry and it was loud and the people were yelling and screaming. And then I remember, like, my neighbors that came from areas that were, like, like really fucked up. You know what I mean? Like, desperate, dysfunctional situations. The music that they were listening to, like, the R&B music was, was about love. And it's in, like, these kind of dulcet tones and, and, like, these beautiful voices singing softly about it. You know, like hip hop was a different thing, you know, but like, I remember a lot of people listening to this really pretty music about really positive things because the people that were actually living through the shit and the injustice that you're talking about, like they actually, they just wanted to escape from it and not talk about it. Like if they were going out to enjoy themselves, like 
that's not what they wanted to talk about. And it's it's funny because like you know there's so few things in punk rock that openly admit that it's about entertainment and like me first in the gimme gimme's like it's always been you've always been open about that this is like you're there to entertain people yeah and include a dose of reality in that entertainment too yeah. but like you have to, to like tastefully do it like you have to close the artistic circle circle which which requires generosity that means you have to redeem things for people like maybe trauma from your own life that uh has not been redeemed for you Mm-hmm. Like that's your job, like because and and it is a job because you're getting paid. Yep. It, it might not be like you know you, you it might not be paying your rent, but you're getting paid. <laughs> might to perform a service. Yeah, it might be a poor career choice, but at the end of the day, you chose it. Right. Right. Exactly. At least for tonight. Yeah. You know. Yeah. Um, Spike, I. I have talked to you for over an hour at this point. And I could talk to you for way longer, but uh, I think we might actually have a chance to catch up in person in a couple weeks. Uh, would nice. you like to sit down and briefly do a part two when that happens? Certainly. Awesome. Well, Spike, I can't thank you enough for coming on the show. And I assure you, you have lived up to all my expectations. Well, thank you so much. I'm sorry for rambling, man. Oh, if you believe me, without rambling, there would be no podcast on Turn It Up. <laughs> thank you, Spike, for coming on the show. And Spike will be back for a in-person part two in the near, near future, because I'm going to be at that 77 Montreal going around, interviewing people, catching up with people backstage. You better believe it. It's going to be a fun time. Anyway, more on that, more on that next week, actually, because next week on the show, once again, as part of the 77 Montreal.com festival from satanic surfers, Magnus Blixenberg, I, God, I hope I get that name right. If I don't, I'm going to get it right for next week. Uh, one of my all-time favorite bands, Satanic Surfers, is going to be on the show. I can't wait to sit down and talk to this guy uh, because he is, you know, like, this is one of those bands. This is one of those bands that I, I, I've i listened to for a very long time, but I don't know a whole heck of a lot about. So this is going to be a fun one. Also, what's going to be fun, coming up next week, a very, very special guest coming back for their third appearance on the show for a very cool uh, surprise preview, I guess, of 77Montreal.com. That is next week on the show. So next week on the show, we've got Magnus, and then we also have the surprise guest. You will hear that next week. Go out there and make your own culture. I'm going to go out there and get on some water slides. Thank you for listening. Bye.